0: Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life Podcast. My name is Ollie Henderson, and in today's show, we consider a question that I've always been intrigued by Are some people luckier than others? My guest is Christian Bush, best selling author of Connect the Dots, the Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. Christian is director of the CDA Global Economy Program at New York University and also teaches at the London School of Economics. He's also the co founder of Sandbox Network, a global community of young innovators and Leaders on Purpose, an organization convening leading CEOs. He's a busy man with loads of fascinating insights to share with us today. So we discussed the difference between blind luck and smart luck, whether it's possible to cultivate serendipity in your life, how techniques like the hook strategy make you luckier, the benefits of a serendipity mindset to your career and life, and how to chuck serendipity bombs out into the world. We also discuss the value of changing your routine and habits regularly and how anticipating the unexpected makes people and businesses stronger. Finally, we discuss a bit of philosophy at the end and particularly how to approach life as a rational optimist. If you enjoy listening to the show, make sure you subscribe to the Future Work Life newsletter and look me up on LinkedIn as I'll explore the themes we discuss in more details over the coming weeks. I'll also include links to Christian's LinkedIn profile and to his book, Connect the Dots, in the show notes. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Christian Bush. So Christian, thank you so much for joining me today. I have read your fascinating book and, and perhaps you can explain in a moment what it's about. But I'm really interested in this idea or perhaps a definition of serendipity and how it differs from luck.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, when you think about luck, you usually think about this kind of blind luck, right? So things that just happened to us like, you know, being born into a nice family, stuff like that. But actually, serendipity is about smart luck. It's about the unexpected good luck that we create ourselves. And, you know, take an example. Uh, one of my favorites is, is uh, you know, imagine you have erratic hand movements like I do, uh, and you spill coffee over someone in a coffee shop. Uh, and, you know, that person looks at you slightly annoyedly. And now you have two options, right? Option number one is you just say, I'm so sorry. You walk outside and you think, ah, what could have happened had I spoken with that person? Option number two you start a conversation, that person ends up to become the love of your life, your co-founder, you name it. And so the point is our reaction to the unexpected, making the accident meaningful, that creates that kind of luck in, in, the, in the long run. And so you know, up to 50% of innovations, inventions, life-changing events happen that way, where there's some kind of unexpected moment, but then it's our ability to connect that to something meaningful and to turn that into those kind of unexpected positive outcomes.
0: Yeah. And there's this sort of idea that you make your own luck. So is that reflective of this, that actually very little happens, which is blind luck? Or how much can you attribute what you might call blind luck to those types of innovations? Surely sometimes things happen which you can't in any way plan for.
1: Yeah, that's very true. And and that's the thing, right? There's always some kind of degree of randomness that we cannot influence. So by definition, we can't know exactly when something happens and, and what exactly the outcome will be but we can make it more likely that it happens, right? So to give you an example, um, mm. you know, if you use something like the hook strategy, which is one of my favorites, you make it more likely that some kind of serendipity happens. Uh, the hook strategy is all about, uh, actually there's Ollie Barrett, a wonderful entrepreneur in London who does it really well. Um, it, it's all about how do you take a couple of interesting themes that you're interested in and just put them out there as potential dots that other people can connect for you. And so in Ollie's case, he would be, If you would ask him this dreaded what do you do question, right, that puts people into boxes, he wouldn't just say, I'm a technology entrepreneur. He would say something like, I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently started reading into the philosophy of science. But what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And now, you know, that allows people to say, oh, my God, such a coincidence. We recently started hosting piano sessions. You should stop by. Oh, my God, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching on the philosophy of science. You should give a guest lecture. The point is, again, we can't know exactly when and who, but we can make it more likely that it happens.
0: Yeah. So can you use it as a tool in your life? Is that how you might think about it? Can it be cultivated in some way, or do you are you more inherently, or perhaps more inclined towards these sort of serendipitous actions? You know, can it be coached? Absolutely, and and, and that's
1: the interesting thing, right? I think a lot of people they do it intuitively. So so initially, actually, you know, a lot of this kind of work was around saying, let's give people a language for what they intuitively do. If you look at you know the CEO of Mastercard or so you know, they would describe how they like achieve different things. And they would say, well, I worked hard and then I had this bit of luck and then I had this luck and this luck. And then we would think about it. And we'd be like, oh, no, actually, you worked really hard to create more luck here. And so a lot of times, actually, those people do it intuitively. And so that's kind of then, OK, here's a vocabulary for you and you can do a bit more with this. But actually, what I found fascinating mm. is how many people and how the real impact comes with people who don't necessarily do it that intuitively who then when they start with small behavioral shifts, so it's not about saying change your whole life and do everything differently. It's just about saying make some small shifts in, in how you go about life, how that has the biggest impact, right? So small things like instead of asking people, what do you do? Asking them, what do you enjoy doing? It's like simple things in language, for example. But by doing this, you open up this opportunity space for people to not be in autopilot and kind of just you know roaming around, but actually to see what are unexpected like denominators uh, that you have in common and things like this. And so the same with how we look at the world, right? We can, we can learn how to be more alert to unexpected opportunities. And if you want, we can definitely talk about some of these experiments. I'm a big fan of where you can literally uh, see that lucky people tend to be luckier and you can literally like, like study that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's talk about an example.
1: Yeah. So one of my favorites actually is, and again, this is, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of different types of these experiments, but one is they, uh, and you know, everyone who listens to this, like, I'd love to ask you, do you consider yourself to be lucky or unlucky and just kind of keep that in mind. And those of you who said lucky, I kudos, you will most likely be a little bit luckier in, in life. And and those who said unlucky, hopefully like will, will, will uh, be part of your journey of, of shifting that. But, you know, in, in that kind of experiment, they, Um, Take people who self-identify as very lucky. So people who say, good things tend to happen to me, yada, yada. And people who self-identify as very unlucky. So people who say, bad things tend to happen to me. I'm always in accidents and, and so on. And we probably all know those people in our lives, right? Who are on this kind of continuum between very lucky and very unlucky. Now they take one of each and they say, walk down the street, go into a coffee shop, sit down, and then we'll have our interview, our conversation. What they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras along the street and inside the coffee shop. That there's a five-pound note, so money, right in front of the door of the coffee shop. And inside the coffee shop, there's only one empty chair next to this extremely successful businessman who can make big dreams happen. Now, the lucky person Mm -hmm. walks down the street, sees the five-pound note, picks it up, goes inside the shop, sits next to the businessman. They have a conversation, exchange business cards, potentially an opportunity coming out of it. We don't know that part. Now, the unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five-pound note, so doesn't see it goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, ignores the businessman, that's it. At the end of the day, they ask both people, how was your day today? So the lucky person says, well, it was amazing. I found money in the street, made a new friend, and you know, potentially an opportunity coming out of it. The unlucky Mm -hmm. person just says, well, nothing really happened. And you know, the fascinating thing is that when you think about life, life is full of potentiality, right? There's all these positively unexpected things potentially there. But if we don't see them, um because we don't believe they're there that's a problem and so that's the fascinating thing i find a lot of money in the street because i expect it to be there and unfortunately mostly pennies so it doesn't really help my lifestyle but the point (laughs) being once we expect the positively unexpected we see it everywhere you look into a bookstore and you think oh my god that book could be a podcast Uh, things like that right once we start looking out for these things we start to see them more and more and you can train that
0: so is that the serendipity mindset that you, you talk about in the book, you know, just actually believing that it, you have some agency over these this luck happening to you, or at least it's something that you can, as I said before, something that you can cultivate in your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, the serendipity mindset really is, is about building a muscle for the unexpected, right? And really kind of saying, how do I set myself up for whenever the unexpected happens that I can make it meaningful or how I can create more meaningful kind of accidents in a way. And 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 part of that definitely is that kind of way of how do we look at the world? What is the kind of framing towards the world, um, you, know, you might know this kind of self fulfilling prophecy thing where if you go into a conversation and you expect the other person to be um, deceitful and bad and everything else, it's more likely that at some point kind of like you will get in, like into a negative kind of conversation versus if you assume kind of, okay, there might be something positive there, let me try to find that, it's more likely that you, that you will find, find that. And so the, 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 the long story short is really to say the way we look at the world, the way we frame the world sets us up more or less for luck But also then, you know, by casting hooks and doing other things, even if we, for example, might not be the most optimistic of people, right? A lot of times people like equalize optimism with kind of potentiality. My wife, who's, you know, I know a lot of people might say that about their wife, but in my case, it's true. The most amazing person in the world, like she essentially, um, you know, is not the most optimistic of all people but she's constantly connecting dots. she's constantly making serendipity happen and so mm-hmm. it's not only that kind of idea that we have to be optimistic or we have to do xyz no it's about there's tangible ways scientifically based ways of how we can cultivate serendipity to happen and that's what i'm excited about i think there's an art to it which is beautiful and magical but also there's a science to it how we can make more of it
0: yeah it's fascinating isn't it i, I can really recognize this idea in my own journey if you like over the last couple of years and the, and the best example of it is networking so I I mean it's amazing really I, I ran a business I was a salesperson for years but yet I always considered myself terrible at networking if you put me in a, a conference room uh, the last thing I wanted to do is go up and shake hands of people I've never met before I mean it just even now thinking about it I just I hate it and and yet I made a conscious decision a couple of years ago that I had to change that or at least be more open to new conversations and funny enough and I think this has been experience of other people as well the ability to communicate digitally rather than in person completely removed my inhibitions from from introducing myself to people and what's remarkable is that once that process is in motion one thing leads to another and, and that those dots are connected and there's certain people who I followed my curiosity by just reading something interesting they wrote, contacted them and said, oh, really that was really fascinating with no intention other than to just say, I enjoyed your stuff. Then a few months later, I started a podcast invited them on. They've invited, invited, introduced me to two people, one of whom I've done some work with, and now they've introduced me to two more people who are on the podcast. So it does set in motion a chain of events. And so I can see that connection. I really, I really, really can. And presumably, that is a common idea, you know, that, that willingness to speak to people must be characteristic of people who have this kind of mindset.
1: Well, it's interesting, right? Because in a way, what what, what you've been doing there is you, you're kind of putting serendipity bombs out there, right? Not, not necessarily always being aware of it, but like you're putting something out there where someone else now, also, you know, if they would have started like a new podcast, they might be like, oh my God, can you help me with it? You've done it before, right? Or things like this where yeah. those unexpected things come, and you don't necessarily know what it could be but you you just feel there might be a relationship that might be worth building or things like that or and i think your perspective also right the perspective of not being transactional about relationships but actually thinking about meaningful relationships i felt you know in life that's what usually builds the most amazing serenity because again look you can go to a conference and pitch someone yeah like the most interesting people get constantly pitched like who cares right versus like if you build a meaningful mm-hmm. relationship and then something comes up, like, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of hook strategy things, right? That people can pick what they are interested in versus what we push on them. And I think, you know, to, to your point, I'm actually, I'm a closet introvert, right? So I, I no problem speaking at a, at a conference or something, and then I hide in the in the restroom because I need to replenish my energy, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of those things. Yeah, where, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's those kind of things where I've been thinking a lot about in a world that's designed for extroverts how do I as an introvert survive in ways that make me feel comfortable, that make me feel true to myself? And one of the things that I found extremely like helpful is to think about how can we leverage extroverts? So people who anyways enjoy walking around and like doing all these things. And so one thing that I've, I've consciously been doing for a very long time is when I, for example, now with a book, when I have a, an idea that I would love people to know about, I'm going to the host, I'm going to whoever th- I think are the multipliers at an event, and I speak with them first. And then they walk around and they mm. talk about it because they're like, "Oh my God, have you met this guy like he 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 writes about serendipity. I just briefly talk about it because it's it's like they anyways intuitively do it, and they are also more credible with people locally because people know them better than than they would know me and so it's kind of this thing where I feel like thinking about who are the the multipliers, the extroverts, or even introvert multipliers and things like this i've I've worked with an insurance, for example, where the idea was if you want to sell an insurance, for example, to teachers." you don't have to go to every teacher at the school. You go to the key teachers who are the super notes, like the people who people go for advice to, right? So you ask people, who are the the three key people you go to advice for advice to? It's always the same people. And then those are the people. If you can turn them around, like everyone else will will kind of listen to them and, and get excited. And so I think there's a lot of strategies also for, for people like us in a way where it might not feel like we want to pitch around and go around everywhere, but also we can leverage this. And to your point, we can leverage technology second degree in mail LinkedIn context and things like this so easy nowadays right and mm-hmm. if you do that 10 times one or two yeah. like workouts so it's, it's kind of it's a numbers game
0: yeah uh, i'm really fascinated with this complementary relationship between different dynamics at play within our work and our life in fact my book's called work life flywheel and it's kind of borrowing an idea from the tech world to talk about how a virtuous circle could be created through for example good physical health can enable you to be more creative and more productive and that can give you more motivation and it feeds back into one another. I'm interested in something you were saying there a moment ago. I wonder if there's certain catalysts which do contribute to an increased propensity to believe in the power of serendipity. So you mentioned before some people are just inherently more positive about certain situations or more willing to take some certain things on. Would certain psychological characteristics catalyze your belief in the serendipity mindset and would that belief in and of itself then contribute towards your propensity to identify more connections between different things
1: yeah yeah i think that's a great question i think you know i think there are there are some traits like personality traits or characteristics of individuals that make it far more likely right if you're curious if you if you if you if you assume positive intention like those kind of things it it makes it more likely that 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 serendipity will happen for a lot of different reasons but mostly because we're creating the conditions for it to to happen um Mm. but um but i think uh, and and only that comes back to, to our initial point that yes like there's the kind of um traits that in a way you know we get partly born into but then also there's a lot of things we can directly work on right we can we can become your curious by asking why, for example, a lot. Like, I'm a big fan of, of really getting people to ask why a lot. And, and um, you know, yeah. it's like the toothpaste problem, right? The toothpaste problem where if you um, are in a relationship and, you know, there's the toothbrush or the toothpaste and uh, you fight over the toothbrush because your partner told you don't put the toothbrush there, it's not about the toothbrush, right? It's not like, but if you ask, why are you so angry with me because of the toothbrush? You will realize, well, it's about respect. It's about underlying root causes rather than the symptom cause that you talked about. And so, I think it's uh, the symptom you talked about. And so, I think it's a lot about um, that. That people who are curious, that people who, who who assume good intention, they will try to dive deeper and try to figure out like what is behind what what meets the eye. And I think that's where the potentiality a lot of times lie.
0: The definition often used for creativity is making connections between things in, in new ways. I'm, I'm interested about how a willingness to do things differently and break your routines can actually contribute towards improved creativity so that's something you've written about in the book
1: absolutely and 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 you know I'm a big fan of really kind of being very conscious about writing down what are the routines that I have in my life and which ones are just there because I never questioned them and can I get rid of them right so let's say the 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 three meetings per day with the same person where we could actually make it one meeting and we can kind of really then free up space for other things versus what are kind of habits and rituals and things that are actually really important to us right if you have a morning meditation routine or whatever it is like that's important and that's a habit that will actually make it more likely that you will have more serendipity you will have more joy you will have more kind of meaning and and so I think um kind of the first step really being like writing down what are the routines in my life and, and which ones are the ones that hold me back from having more uh, serendipity, but also more joy and, and potentially more success um, versus then also being aware that, yes, we all need some kind of anchors and, and some kind of habits and, and and so on. I think Atomic Habits now for, for, for months has been the number one bestseller, I think, for, for a reason, right, that everyone is looking for anchors, especially in times of uncertainty. And I think that's extremely important.
0: Is that the same idea as functional fixedness? Because that was a phrase that you used. Is that the idea that just inherently you need to be willing to vary the way that you think and the habits that you're creating?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. because So if you think about functional fixedness as the kind of rigidities we create ourselves because we somehow learned a particular way and we believe that's now the one way that the world works, right? So the hammer and nail problem. If you if you're so used to your hammer and you need to get a nail into the wall, you will always look for the hammer to get the nail into the wall. Even, you know, but if you, if you never learned about a hammer, you might use any heavy object that doesn't like break when you kind of put in the nail. And so it's kind of the same thing with our mental models, right? If we're used to particular problem solving methods, we might always like take the one that we're used to versus really thinking about, okay, what could actually be more effective? And that functional fixedness limits our potential for serendipity because it, it kind of closes us down to, to to quite a bit of um you know the unexpected solutions that might come up. And so I think Oli that's why it's so fascinating to step back and say, you know, what are the kind of problems I'm trying to solve in my life? And what is it, how do I approach them? And and and, and is there almost like a kind of quote unquote beginners mindset that I can take? Where I step back and say, "Okay, could that be done differently?" And and I think again, that's where the why question comes in, and and we can look at the routine and say, "Why is this here in the first place?" I think especially in organizations, right, and companies, there's so many routines that are just there because someone created them at some point, but they actually don't serve a real purpose, right? And and so it's really kind of thinking yeah. about why why is that here.
0: Here's a why question for you. Why so curious about serendipity in the first place? Was there something that, was there in a particular event in your life which triggered this fascination or is it just something that's emerged through your experiences in in, in work and business?
1: Yeah, I love that question because look, my whole life since I'm probably 18 years old or so, you know, has essentially been serendipity And, and a lot of this you know, I, I you know, make sense out of hindsight, right? So I'm looking back and I'm like, oh yeah, now I recognize this as serendipity I wouldn't have in the moment, right? <laughs> in the moment, uh, it might have been a big crisis. or in my case, you know, near-death experiences or other things where in a way there's a big crisis, but then that became the inflection point for something beautiful over time. And so I've become actually a big fan of this idea that if you want a happy ending, you can't stop the story too early because a lot of times actually a crisis, right? Let's say, break up with someone in the moment it feels like oh my god it's the end of the world but actually you needed that to really find the person you might be a better fit with right and so that becomes the inflection point for for that and and that certainty really might happen far later than at that given point um, but so in my life you know the first time i kind of encountered it like very consciously and and, and 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 was thinking about it like more kind of like like conceptually was during the time um we created a community called sandbox network where The idea was you identify people from across different areas who are pushing the boundaries, entrepreneurs, business people, designers, and then you bring them together in a community. And, you know, usually these people are connected in their own fields, but mindset wise, they're much closer to each other. And so why not create a community around them? And you would go to a dinner in the evening and people would constantly go, oh, my God, such a coincidence, such a coincidence, such a coincidence, such a coincidence. And so I got really fascinated by that question. Can you accelerate that kind of serendipity that seems to happen here? And in this case, it was really mostly about, you know, people with similar values, but very different perspectives that then in a way led to a lot of uh, serendipity. But then, you know, I first thought, okay, this will be something that I'm personally passionate about and that we somehow do in our work. But later when I went into research everywhere, you know, I've studied a lot of of especially senior executives and, and different companies around the world and serendipity just popped up everywhere. And so I got really excited about this idea is there despite the, the, the stories being so different, is there some kind of pattern behind it? And, and that's why I'm so excited about it, that there's now this work is about saying there's a science-based framework for what underlies all these different stories. And it's always the same process of some kind of unexpected serendipity trigger, right, spilling the coffee or whatever the unexpected thing is. But then we have to connect the dots. We have to do something with it and turn it into, into outcomes. And so then we can influence each, each point of that process
0: sure you you mentioned the the how this manifests in business, so one characteristic of top performing organizations is and it's particularly true over the past couple of years is they is they don't just cope with unexpected events but they often thrive in unpredictable circumstances so is that something that is or can become a conscious strategy and and where does that intersect with the idea of serendipity? yeah.
1: Now, that's interesting because so we just finished a study with um, over 40 of the world's leading CEOs, essentially, you know, who, who run big companies like MasterCard. And so we set them down and we said, what is it that makes you really successful? And one of the underlying themes that comes out of it is that they're extremely good at putting some kind of sense of direction out there. So a broader purpose, like in the case of MasterCard, it would be uh, we want to bring 500 million people into the financial system who haven't been who have been unbanked before that. Right. So the financial inclusion piece Now, that's a sense of direction you have, so something you can connect the dots towards. Here's an approximate strategy, but we are already telling you now that as soon as new information comes in or unexpected solutions to how we can achieve this, we will actually go that route because we want to consistently improve. And so what they do is they make the unexpected part of the plan. So the big shift here is that old school leadership style is about saying... The unexpected is a threat to my authority. The unexpected is something that I have to hide uh, new information because it doesn't fit my marketing plan versus this mindset is about saying no. We created a culture that allows us to cultivate serendipity. And to me, you know one of the biggest shifts I've seen um, in this work over the last kind of five years is you would look at those CEOs and they go into the boardroom, their usual approach is to say, I had exactly this plan, that I did exactly this and then exactly this happened, right? So linear. Nobody buys this anyways. Everyone knows that life is more like a squiggle, right? We do that all with our CVs also, right? Yeah, I wanted to do this then this then this. Yeah, Yeah, you just bumped into someone and then kind of you got this, right? And so we all know that life is more like a squiggle, but we tell it as if it is linear. And so the the key purpose of this is really to say, we tend to airbrush serendipity out of our stories because we feel it kind of um, makes us feel out of control or um, it, it kind of like limits our authority at any given point. But what those CEOs shows us is, actually, you know what, you can create a culture and a mindset that allows you to see cultivating serendipity as a new leadership skill during times of uncertainty. And I think that's kind of the big shift, because then you don't have to hide these things, but actually you you created the right culture for it. And maybe, you know, to wrap this up, an example um, where uh, I'm a big fan of the potato washing machine. And the potato washing machine um, is is essentially uh, a company in China that I've been doing some work with. They, you know, produce refrigerators and washing machines and stuff like that. Um, so it's a smart home kind of company. And they um, received calls from farmers and, and information from farmers. And the farmers told them, your crappy washing machine is always breaking down. So they asked, well, why is the washing machine breaking down? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes in it, it doesn't seem to work. So what would we usually do in a, in, a, in an organization that's not open to the unexpected? We would probably try to educate the customer, right, and tell them, well, don't wash your potatoes, in the washing machine is not made for potatoes. They did the opposite. They said, you know mm-hmm. what? That's unexpected. But there's probably a lot of farmers in China who might have a similar problem. So why don't we build in a dirt filter and make it a potato washing machine? And that's how the potato washing machine became a key product. The long story short here is, you know, I'm a big fan of incentivizing that kind of thinking, small things. In the weekly meeting, why not ask, what surprised you last week? And when you do that, people will say, oh, it really surprised me that um, people were using our washing machine differently. And then it doesn't become a threat to our marketing plan, right? But it actually becomes part of the plan that we, that we have that check-in.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea. And actually, one point on that, that one of the better books by CEOs is Creativity Inc. I'm not sure if you read that by the CEO of Pixar. And what is great about that is it isn't all I was I made the right decision at the right time. I brought in the right people and they did the right things and it was all according to my plan and it was all executed perfectly and look at a great success. It, it it embraces the fact that there was unpredictability, which is of course the nature of every aspect of life, but you know, no more so than in business. So you know, I can completely agree with that. I'm interested though, there's I think sometimes when we di- we discover a new mental model, or a new framework, it's tempting to try to optimize for it in everything that we do. And I wonder, is there a danger of over-optimizing in this as well?
1: Well, I mean, there's definitely the risk, right, of, of distraction if you if you just kind of without any sense of direction go out there and just, you know, look for the opportunities as they come. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have that kind of problem, right, that you there's all these unexpected cool opportunities that come out of bumping into someone or doing this, Um, And then you look back after 20 years and you're like, Jesus, like, what did I actually do? Like, I should have executed on one versus like doing 20 different things. And so I'm a big fan. And that's actually part of the mindset to say, let's build in good filters. Let's build in good filters that allow us to, you know, realize that there are periods where we want to be completely open to serendipity. Right. So let's say I just graduated and I'm, I'm looking for what I can do next or stuff like that, where naturally in life now i'm open to any potential kind of serendipity that could happen same in companies right early stage you're open to kind of that and then as you come closer to having a feeling for oh this feels right then you kind of want to put your head down right in your case you know when you're now saying you write the book and at some point you just have the content together and you just feel okay it's kind of like i'm there like i could have more things now but i'm actually there then you just want to be in the basement or in the coffee shop and like not meet people, right? You just want to kind of ride and get it done. And so I think there's this kind of thing mm-hmm. where I've always been a big fan uh, talk about Pixar uh, of, of, of simple things, like what they did with a brain trust, for example, where the idea is that if people mm-hmm. come up with creative ideas, great. Let a couple of people informally check on it and say, Oh yeah, that's a good idea for now. Maybe that's on the parking lot. And by doing this, you have a in like an easy filter. And I do that with, you know, with friends or with my wife where, We just filter ideas from time to time and say, great, this is parking lot, and this is for now. And parking lot means, hey, we will revisit. It's not an idea that's gone. It doesn't feel sad that it's gone. It's just not right for now. And I think that's kind of the thing where the same with events, right? I think when you start out and you're relatively junior in in a field, you, you want to go everywhere because you essentially just have to, to maximize potential interactions. But then the more kind of you you, you, you establish yourself, the more selective you become with, oh, great. Um, you know, this is the kind of communities where, where the magic happens. Um, but then, of course, the risk can be if you close yourself too much. So it's kind of, in a way, finding that balance between uh, those two. But yes, I'm a big fan of filters, um, setting those.
0: So uh, one last question. You mentioned towards the end of the book that that it's grounded in rational optimism and I really like Matt Ridley's book of that name. I think it's a kind of good outlook to to have on life. I wonder whether you could maybe elaborate why you specifically used that phrase, but also I'm intrigued about what it had has to do with Viktor Frankl.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. You know, the philosopher in me loves that question because so I grew up in Heidelberg where Goethe and, and others wrote some of their their, their poems, and um, you know, Viktor Frankl was very inspired by Goethe. And, and Goethe had this beautiful idea that if you take someone as they are, you make them worse. But if you take them as who they could be, you make them capable of becoming who they can be. And, and, and to me, that's what serendipity is about a lot. It's about potentiality. It's about seeing a little bit more in a person or in a situation than there is. Looking at a former drug dealer and saying, wow, that person will be re- very resourceful. They will have a lot of social capital. If we can t- turn them into a teacher, that's a whole community that we can turn around. Or looking at an old training center, uh, sorry, an old garage and seeing a training center. So seeing that kind of potentiality, seeing a bit more in the moment, and that's very good. and Viktor Frankl essentially took some of this thinking, and he took that into context. I mean, Viktor Frankl, um, he endured one probably the, the the most kind of challenging situation you can imagine. Uh, he was in a concentration camp or, or several ones, but um, he, 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 he during the Holocaust he uh, essentially um, you know was in a concentration camp, and he at some point reflected. And he wrote an amazing book, by the way, *Man's Search for Meaning, that's highly recommended. But he essentially reflected what allowed me to keep hope, uh, even though objectively being in a concentration camp is a completely hopeless and meaningless situation. Like you, 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 you're almost certain that you will die. There's no dignity for you. And like it, it, it's, it's a meaningless situation for you. And so he said, you know what? Let me create some meaning. And so what he did, for example, was he would say, I want to help every day. I want to speak with another prisoner to make them feel better. And by doing this now, I have a reason to wake up tomorrow morning. I made it meaningful here for me that I can still do something. And still, I also want to write the book when I get out of here. So he had this beautiful duality of meaning of a meaning in the day-to-day, but also like a bigger idea when he would get out there. And he had this beautiful um, story of the flight instructor. And the flight instructor, essentially, that's kind of where the Goethe thought came in, where the flight instructor told him, uh, Goethe, if you want to fly, uh, no, Victor, if you want to fly like this, you need to start like this because the wind will pull you down. So if you start as a realist, you end up as a depressionist. But if you start as a as, a, as an optimist, you end up as the real realist. And and, and 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 to me, that was always the idea behind this rational optimism that, look, the world is a really tough place. Like there's a lot of really bad stuff happening. I mean, there's a lot of kind of things that are really going wrong here. Um. So, but we need to be optimists because that's the only way to see what we could potentially do uh, in order to then, um, you know, become these, opt- uh, these rational rational optimists that in a way see the risk of what's there. We see that there's problems, but at the same time also we say, hey, there, there might be ways of doing something. And so I, I can only highly recommend Victor Frankl's book because, you know, I had two near-death experiences in my life. I read it each time and it was the most beautiful thing in terms of just realizing however bad a situation is, we cannot influence every situation, but we can always influence our response to it.
0: Yeah. Well said. I really enjoyed your book. I'm going to put links to it in the show notes. But before we wrap up, I mean, is there anything else you want to share either about your experience of collecting these fascinating ideas or just didn't, the idea of serendipity in general?
1: Well, look, I mean, what I found fascinating, you know, I think some people, to your point earlier, I think have a natural propensity towards it. So they, they naturally do it, they're naturally it. But then I think the real impact comes with people who don't necessarily do it. And, you know, there's no way to convince someone who, who doesn't want to do it. Right. But I'm a, so I'm a big fan of small behavioral shifts. And so, I, you know, I had this colleague in London, um, uh, you know, high profile professor type person. And, um, you know, when I started telling him about these ideas, kind of when, when it started, uh, he was like, look, Christian, I love you. I love your ideas. Uh, but I don't need more serendipity in my life. Like I you know, I have a good family. I, I'm i relatively happy at work. Like, why do I need serendipity? And so we made a deal. And we said, you know what? Do a couple of things slightly different in your life. Like cast a couple of hooks from time to time. Ask questions slightly differently, especially in conversations with people where you have to be in that meeting and you really don't want to go. Just ask slightly different questions. He comes back a month or so after and he's like, Christian, I didn't know life can be so joyful. And And, and you know, to me, this was really the thing that this is about experiencing it. Like there's only so much we can talk about it in terms of, yeah, great, like do this. And, 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 and those people, you know, people like you, people like me who experience it a lot, we feel it. We know the joy that comes with it. We know the opportunity. But if you're not necessarily inclined to do it, there's no way of just convincing. I think it's really about saying start small behavioral shifts. And once you start doing it, it starts to happen more and more and more and more. And then actually you're really kind of getting into that direction of the mindset. And so that's kind of what I'm most excited about, you know, in the next years to come to really think about how do we scale this into education systems, organizations, everywhere, because there's so much joy in there, so much meaning. Uh, but also, you know, that's how in a fast changing world, uh, in a way, we decrease anxiety and, and, and in a way it makes us live a, a kind of more stable life in, in that sense.
0: Fantastic. Well, Christine, pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And that's my conversation with Christian. Hopefully after that, you've got a better idea about how to become luckier in your life. As I said at the top, I'll be writing about some of these themes in the Future Work Life newsletter and also on LinkedIn. So make sure you subscribe and get in touch on there. Next week, I've got another double header for you with two entrepreneurs changing how we think about the future of work and career transitions. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast and I'll see you then.